everybody. What's up? This is Chelsea with the Heart AF Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. I wanted to get a little deep with you today on a little bit of my past. So my mother was an addict. And if you've ever had someone in your life that you love who is an addict, that relationship can be very challenging, especially when that relationship is with one of your parents. Because life with an addict is just, it's hard because you love the person, you want the person to get better, and you still, you know, have moments where you're enjoying their company and you still have kind of this good relationship. And you can see as the addiction starts to take over and get worse and worse, where they typically start acting out of character, but addicts are pretty notorious for being very good manipulators and very good liars. They're very good at playing the victim. They're very good at hurting the people they love because, you know, we just want so much for them to get better. We want to believe that they're getting help. We want to believe that they're going to be able to kick this addiction. And so many times we can get our hopes up or we take them to rehab and then they relapse. It's just very hard because you just get let down repeatedly. And anyway, I know a lot of different people that I'm close with that have also had struggles with having an addict in their life, whether it's a parent or just somebody close, you know, it's not fun. And you lose a lot of people when they succumb to their addictions. I know people who haven't talked to their children in years don't even know if their children are still alive or not because they've lost them through that road of addiction. And sometimes addicts don't even know that they cause this trail of destruction. If you have a story or if there's things that you've struggled with in your life with having somebody as an addict, I welcome you to share that with me, either through a personal message or through a comment or something. I think it's just good to know that you're not alone and that there's so many other people who struggle with having somebody that they love who is an addict. And it can be very hard to really be able to vocalize those struggles that you have. And the truth of it is that no one can force an addict to get help and get sober. That has to be the addict themselves. They have to come to that realization. They have to be able to make that choice themselves. And it's a hard fight. And I do know some amazing people who have recovered, who are sober and have been sober for many years and are living life and doing amazing things because they've overcome and they beat their addictions. And for me, My mother's addiction started when I was a young child, and there was a lot of situations I was put in as a young child, very traumatic situations, and it didn't stop. It just got worse as her life progressed, and I grew up without my mom around. And as a child, you're always wondering, you know, why am I not good enough? Why does my mom love me enough to be sober? And it's hard for a child mind to understand. I mean, I don't even think I came to the realization that my mom was an addict until I was in middle school. And before that, I just thought she was rather strange, and I thought... I had a very weird situation. You know, I only saw my mom once or twice a year. I think because I was affected as a child of an addict so much, I always had a longing to learn as much as I can about addicts, you know, why they do it. And at this point in my life, at this age, I've come to realization that a lot of it comes to almost self-hatred. Like maybe you've made mistakes in your life or maybe you're unhappy about certain situations in your life. And so to numb those painful feelings. And that's where I feel like addiction can sometimes start. I'm not saying this is every situation. I just have analyzed a lot about my mother's situation. And from my perspective, I can see that perhaps her addiction started from wanting to numb a lot of the pain she was feeling. And then because she did a lot of things 
while she was intoxicated, while she was high, you know, getting in accidents with her children in the car and getting her children taken away from her, having my half-brother adopted when he was a baby, giving up her parental rights. I mean, as a woman, as a mother, like actually accepting that you made choices where you lost your kids could be hard to accept of yourself. And from my perspective, it feels like that would be very hard to overcome and accept and be okay to get on with life, accepting that you made bad choices where you lost your children. Like instead of doing that, it's better to just keep numbing yourself and keep pretending that you're not really an addict. You don't really have a problem. And so my mom's story was that she was always this victim and she was sick. That was always like the cover. She was just really sick. She had a brain injury. And I'll tell you, I've known people that have had TBIs, which are traumatic brain injuries. But what my mom was doing was not the cause of a brain injury. My mom's behavior was an addict being intoxicated. My mother's drug of choice were prescription pills. She had a bunch of different types of pills, you know, anything from antidepressant, pain pills, tranquilizers, opiates, those kinds of things. That that was her drug of choice. And, and of course, you know, you mix those and, and things can get really, really weird. I experienced lots of times of her just being completely incapacitated. And it's very hard to talk about all these pieces of my past. My dad got custody of me when I was in kindergarten. And so overall, I feel like I had a pretty normal childhood because I just didn't know that she was an addict until later in life. As a child, you don't understand. All I knew in my child mind was that my mom was not around anymore. And why not? Like, why don't I stay with my mom as much as everybody else? Why doesn't my mom live here? Why don't I stay with my mom? Why does my dad have primary custody of me? I didn't realize all those things, you know? I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really know all the pieces and you just kind of make these assumptions in your head of what's really going on. You don't know until you do. And at this point in time in my life now, as an adult woman, as a mother, I can see how she went down that path of not wanting to deal with the reality of the choices she made and not wanting to deal with the danger she put her children in and, and not being able to deal with abandoning her children, not being able to deal with having her children taken away, you know, leaving her husband because he was in an accident and became a quadriplegic. Like all those little things just fed that addiction, like wanting her to stay in that cycle, wanting to numb and not be in the reality and also coming up with these stories, these kind of manipulations, again, I think is part of the addiction where she was sick, she had a brain injury, and so she needed medicine. And so all these episodes she would have being high or overdosing, it was because of her brain injury. Even her mom, my grandma would be like, oh, she's just sick. She got in that car accident and she got a brain injury. And later in life, I'm like, oh my gosh, that what bullshit. And I mean, I feel like this all ties into like really the big overall message of this podcast, which is about not constricting yourself or trying to fit into boxes just to please other people. It's really important to just be who you are and to stop seeking external validations and really just be okay with yourself and internally love yourself no matter what mistakes you make, because every mistake you make is a new lesson to be learned. Literally, I'm so thankful I had the mom I did who had these addiction problems that drove me to research addiction, that drove me to continue this journey of like, why is this stuff happening to me? Before my dad got custody of me, I think I was five. My brother had just turned one. It was just after Christmas. We were driving to Denver, Colorado, back home from a Christmas with my mom's parents in Missouri. So it was a 12-hour car trip, and we were on our way back home. My family watched my mom drive off with us in the car, like, swerving. No one said anything. You just kind of, you know, bye, like, 
you know, I remember my aunt telling me the story later and just her being like, you know, I don't know why we didn't, I don't know. Like, I think it's just so hard. And I think a lot of people can relate to that is there's these kind of like family dynamics and these like kind of pressures where you feel like you have to behave in certain ways because of how like your parents raised you. And there's this kind of, there's this fear that's instilled in you. And some of that might be like religious fear. And it can really paralyze a person from making choices that maybe they want to make and they feel like they have to make other choices. And that could be a whole other topic to discuss, which I would like to talk on another time. But moving forward with the story, you know, I don't think we were on the road for an hour before my mom had flipped the car. And luckily, the highways were on two sides of the road. So when she had flipped the car and landed upside down, they landed in like the median and so, you know, I thank God that we did not end up on that other side of the highway where another car could have collided with us. We landed in the median. I flew through the windshield because I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I was laying down in the back seat sleeping and, you know, five-year-old doesn't know. And my mom's obviously not aware or paying attention, but I did my seatbelt to lay more comfortably flat. So my head was cracked open. Like it was a pretty significant car wreck. And I think my baby brother was in his car seat. The car seat kept him fine. And then my mom had like a scratch or bruise. Like she was fine. This was the accident where I think my dad was like, oh, I need to do something. I need to get custody. And I think it was shortly after that time period that we both, you know, be began living with our dads. And I think even at the custody hearing of my dad getting full custody. My mom didn't even show up because she was in jail. So, you know, it could be easy custody hearing there. So that was kind of my early childhood. Before, you know, my dad got custody of me, there was lots of incidences that happened. Like I can remember, you know, my mom like backing up into a closed garage, like she was inside the garage, started the car and backed up into the closed garage door or you know, left at some kind of like church program or something. And my mom never came back to pick me up. And it's like, you remember that as a little child. I remember she didn't show up and I was the last person there and it was like dark and getting late. And I remember a neighbor took me and I spent the night at a neighbor's house. I mean, it's crazy that I have some of those memories and just, you know, luckily my dad came in and I, I lived with my dad and it was like a stable home and I was just going to school. And then it became the only abnormality was my dad was in a wheelchair. And I think in early adulthood too, I always wanted to avoid the fact that I did have kind of a traumatic upbringing or always wanted to say, oh, well, there's so many kids out there that have it so much worse. And, and so really my story is not that bad. And I think that's the thing too, is we want to hide from our past or hide from the traumas we've experienced because we think it makes us tainted or it makes us broken or like we're a bruised apple. Like no one wants to pick a bruised apple. They want the nice, shiny, smooth apple kind of a thing. And the thing is, we shouldn't hide from who we are. We shouldn't hide from those experiences. I think it's just one of those things where you just want to downplay it or you don't really want to bring it up or talk about it. And, you know, growing up, I was always kind of chasing that relationship with my mom. There was a seed of anger that was planted in me at a very young age because I was so angry at the fact that why wasn't my mom here? And why is my grandma here instead of her? Like I had a mom. Why wasn't she there? You know, and I feel like there's just this degree of feeling like an outcast or just that there's something wrong with you if your mom's not in your life. You know what I mean? Like there's just something about that, like being discarded by your own mom. It hurts. And I shouldn't say just a mother. It could be a father too that left you. Whatever it is, if there's a parent who just didn't want you, it affects you and it definitely, I think, affects your self-worth and you're always questioning why, like you want answers. And so as I grew up and as I was let down again and again, like thinking, you know, this visit with my mom, we're going to have this awesome time, like she's going to be sober. It'll be great. 
I remember I'll tell you this story. Once I went to go visit her, it was like for a long weekend. I was going for one of my sister's birthdays and I thought it'd be fun to just spend a long weekend, you know, beg my dad to get me at the plane to get out to go visit her. I remember her picking me up and just crying because she just looked horrible. And we took the bus and the first stop was at a dentist office. And heads up, if you don't know, dentist office are a very big clue to anybody who might be abusing prescription pills because it's like a great spot to go and get dental work done and then get those pain pills. And that's exactly what she was doing. All I know is that she got some stuff and got some scripts afterwards. I was only there for a short period and we were supposed to plan a mother-daughter dinner one of the nights. And so she's like, we'll go have like a nice mother-daughter like date night and we'll go have dinner somewhere. So she couldn't drive. Surprise, surprise. I mean, she didn't have a license. And I think I was 15. I had a permit. And so I drove. So we go to this place and we ordered food. And what I didn't know when we first got there was it actually was a bar. It was one of those places where you could go and eat. But then like at a certain time, they start IDing people at the door and they had like, you know, a band and it kind of turned into more like a nightclub bar situation. So I remember being there with her and they gave me a wristband since I was already there. And because I had this wristband, like I was 21, even though I was 15 with my mom and, you know, she's drinking and, and she's like, you should order a drink. I'm like, I don't even know what to drink. Like I've never really, like at this point, I never really drank before. And I remember ordering a white Russian or something. So I was like, oh, you'll like it. And so I remember drinking one of those and feeling cool because I'm a 15 year old that people think I'm 21. Right. So it was kind of cool. But at the same time, I was a little disappointed that I didn't get that one on one time. I was kind of thinking with my mom and then it went from that to just much, much worse because as the night got on, my mom got worse and worse, just getting like fucked up. And I remember looking over at one point, you know, I'm sitting there and her dancing and like kind of taking off her shirt and not the way you really want to see your mom. Okay. Like we all have a wild side. I'm no judgment. Like I'm the last one to judge that kind of behavior. But when you're with your daughter, I mean, it's just questionable behavior. And so I'm sitting here watching her like, okay, like we should probably go. And she's like, well, Will you come outside with me? And so we're outside and she was talking to these guys and they were kind of passing around like a joint. And I remember it got passed to me and I think I had smoked pot before at this point in my life. Maybe it was once or twice before. And I just remember I did take a hit because peer pressure, I don't know, whatever. I'm with my mom, you know. It's hard to be the most responsible one at 15, you know, like you don't make the best decisions at 15. And so I started feeling really weird. Like something was not right. I was starting to get like super scared. I felt like my heart was beating on my chest. And I was like, I don't think that was just pot. I think that might've been listening. Like, I don't know. Like I'm feeling really, really weird. And I remember I just walked back to the truck I had driven and I just remember laying there and freaking out like in my head, oh my God, do I need to go to the hospital? What's going to happen if I go to the hospital and I'm going to see my mom again? Is my mom going to get in trouble? Is she going to go back to jail? I don't know what's going to happen. Freaking out. I did not know what to do. And I remember calling one of like my friends who was a pothead back home. And I was like, hey, like, am I going to be okay? Do you think this was lace? Like, I don't really feel like this is what you feel like when you just smoke pot. And they were so sweet to me. And they're like, no, you probably just need to like drink, drink lots of water and get some like food in you or something, you know, and just like, kind of sleep it off. Just stay calm. Like you're fine. And so I remember my mom like finally got in the car and she was kind of like mad at me. Like I just left her and I'm like, well, I'm ready to go. And I was terrified because I still had to drive back to her place. And you know, I'm in a town that I am not living in, so I don't know where I'm going. I just remember being terrified. We made it back to her place and she lived like in a duplex type situation or she lived next door to somebody. And I remember going straight to their house and it was like a group of snowboarder dudes because it was like Tahoe. And I just was like, hey, do you guys have any bread? Like I smoked something. I don't know what it was, but I'm feeling really weird. And my mom's up. Can you help me? And 
So they let me in and I remember like the halls they had was like tortillas. And so I remember eating a tortilla. My mom comes in and then she's like, you need to come back over to our house. And I'm like, okay. So we go back over to her house and I was supposed to leave for the airport the next day. And she wouldn't wake up when it was time to wake up for the airport. And my stepdad got her into the car and they ended up taking me and dropping me off. But I just remember the car right over there. She was completely fucked up. I remember my stepdad at the time was like holding the thin air like this and offering my mom, do you want a piece of gum? And, you know, my mom was reaching for the air, like trying to grab a piece of gum when there was no piece of gum there. He was literally just playing with the fact that she was that fucked up. And that's how I left her that trip. And that's just one out of many instances. There's just so much, so much stuff. I think one of the last times I saw her was after high school. And me and my now husband had taken a road trip together and we decided to drive down to Alabama where she was living at the time and to go see my sisters and to see her. And she ended up going to the hospital while we were there. And I remember when we left that time, I said goodbye to her in the hospital room. And we were trying to tell the nurses like, hey, um, you know, she's an addict. And again, it's just, it just sucks because it's your mom. Like, I want to have a mom in my life. I, w- I was in college and she had been staying at like a women's shelter and she was like what if I come back to Colorado and you know I can live with you and your dad and like yeah absolutely like did not talk to my dad at all and I'm like if she just gets here I can totally talk to my dad into letting her stay you know so she gets on a bus to to come from Alabama to Denver and in my head I'm like this is gonna be awesome I'm gonna take care of her I'm gonna make sure she gets sober I'm gonna be able to watch her like this is gonna be great we're finally gonna have this relationship and I was expected to pick her and my sisters up at the bus stop at like eight in the morning the next day. And I think it's like 1030. And my dad calls me and I knew right away something had happened. And I remember I was actually with my husband at that moment, too. And I remember grabbing his shirt because I was like, oh, my gosh, like she died. I just I knew something happened. She didn't die, but she did take a handful of pills as soon as she got on that bus. And so the bus barely made it out of the next city in Alabama before they had to pull over. And she was was taken to the hospital. My sisters had to be taken by the authorities until their aunt could come and pick them up who lived nearby. So she never made to Colorado. I never did see her again. I feel for anybody who's lost a family member or someone they love to addiction because it's devastating because you want them to get help and you want them so bad to just be themselves again. And I feel like it's similar to those that succumb to suicide where they lose hope and they can't see out. And again, I feel like this is so tied in with the message I'm trying to deliver, which is to just live as yourself and to really like break through these barriers that we put upon ourselves because we're so afraid about what other people think, even our own families. Like we're so afraid of disappointing a family member, even if it's your own parents, we get so stuck in living how we think we have to live because whoever we are giving the power to to decide how we live our lives, like it shouldn't be like that. You really have to look outside of that and really not give a fuck about what other people are going to think and really just focus on what kind of life you want to live. You know, like I think about people and their sexuality too. It's like you're so afraid of just being yourself and living like whatever it is that makes you happy and brings you to life. So many people would rather live in that darkness and live this watered down version of yourself, like just to please other people or just because you feel like you can't be your full self because you want to be accepted. And I think you just have to accept yourself and break away from any toxic people or things, because if you're not paying attention to that, then it can't hurt you. And then when you seclude yourself from toxic people, 
and you really love yourself and you embrace every bit of you and you just live life as yourself, there are going to be people out there that see you, see the real you and love you just as you are. They will be attracted to you because you are loving yourself and you're finally showing yourself because if you're showing yourself and being yourself, then those other people can see you and they will see you. And to really be seen like that is amazing. Like it's such a great feeling to really be seen and accepted. And there are people out there that will see you and accept you for who you are, but you have to have the balls to need that. And it's hard. And that is why this podcast is hard as fuck because it is hard as fuck to be who you truly are. And I think about like if my mom could just be like, okay, so I fucked up. So what? I'm moving on now, you know, and I shouldn't like make light because I know addiction is a serious thing and I don't want to make light of it or that it is an easy switch like that, you know, but there's so many people who have gone through recovery and have made it on the other side. And a lot of that has come with finding that self-love and, and figuring out that inner power. And a lot of that comes from spiritual connections and really remembering like where we came from and remembering our creator and like figuring out that there is a purpose to all the things that we go through and experience, no matter how painful and shitty they may be. Like there is a reason for it. There's a lesson in it all. And sometimes it really, really sucks. It's really hard to get that bigger perspective on life, especially when you're living in this narrow, short focus, right? Like if you're focusing in on all the shitty parts of it or focused on other people's opinions of you or what they're going to think or wanting their approval, like if you're focused on that and that's all you see. And it really can be as easy as turning the blinders on and like just cutting them out, like unfollowing them on social media, like not being aware of what they are. It really is that easy to live in your own little world because your perception is your reality. So if you can really learn to have that broader, wider perspective and like not be so focused on all these things and just see there's a bigger view, just knowing how small we are and the multitude of how big the universe is and just how these moments in our life that can seem so horrible in the moment that it's just a piece that there's still so much more of your life to live and there's so much more happiness to have. Like the people that get stuck at that one little moment, that one painful moment, if you can just hold on and make it and let time pass, there is still more joy to be had. There's still more blessings to experience. Like there's so much more beauty in life that's available and you just have to open your eyes and look for it. You know, it's there. It's there for you. And it's just becoming aware of it. Honestly, all the things I dealt with with my mom led me on to my spiritual path that opened this huge door for me of learning so much and coming to understand our journeys as souls, like who we are, that inner part of us and learning the purpose of us being here. I really just wanted to share a few slices of my story about having an addict as a mother and how I can relate to anybody who's had a parent who is an addict and how you can be put in some situations where you are scared, how you are put into situations where you don't feel worthy. Like, why is my parent choosing the substance over you? And just really working your way through those hard moments and pain. And, you know, it's something that I still struggle with, even though I have such a broad understanding now and I've had so much closure and different things around the traumas I experienced, there still is that root fear and 
pain that still comes through in a lot of my life and it's hard to not let that all go. But I think that's okay because it's just a part of my story. It's one of the scars I wear, you know? Like that's part of my experience and that's what I had. That makes me me. And so I think it's important to see that too, that we all have scars. Some just hide them better than others. Anyway, I love you guys. Come and catch me next week on the Heart AF podcast. And you can always find me at my website at chelseabambuskirk.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at chelsea.bambuskirk. I will see you guys next week. Peace.